January 11th, I received a phone call that would forever change our family's life. I received a call from my sister that my 16-year-old nephew had been in a car accident and that he had lost a leg and that there was other injuries sustained, but everything else at that point was unknown. That information that I received on that phone call that night had me so traumatized that I literally hung up in my sister's face. I didn't know how to process what I was hearing. I couldn't even catch my breath. My family and I were driving home from a movie that night. And when I got that phone call, I was assuming it was about something or someone else. I never, ever imagined that it would come from my sister about my nephew. So when I tell you that I cried until I could barely catch my breath. My son cried in the back seat. My husband was shocked and had to drive us in the rain safe to Walnut Creek. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever heard. And I remember praying and crying to God, please, God, please, God, please. That's what I said over and over. Please, God, please, God, please. I just wanted his life to be spared. So I'm bringing you this special interview with my sister, Michelle, and her husband, Willie. And they're going to talk to you guys about what they experienced January 11th and what they've dealt with up to this point in their son's tragic car accident that left two young, innocent lives dead and four other kids who will never, ever be the same. My nephew suffered the worst of the injuries, losing a leg, broken legs, broken arms, brain trauma, comas, having to learn to walk, talk, and just live everyday life over again. And yet these folks still walk around with a smile. They still have the best attitude and they still are so grateful to God for every single thing that has came their way. Ups and downs, the frustrations, the things, the fears, None of that had a place in their hearts as they went through this journey with their son, Willie. So I wanted to share this interview with you guys. I know that the holidays can bring upon sadness and and fears and times of depression where everyone around you might be buzzing with excitement and energy. If you've lost someone, you've suffered tragedy, maybe you're dealing with financial hardships, or maybe you're even just recently divorced. This is a time of year that brings upon so many feelings and emotions, even ones that you may not understand. And so I wanted to send you an encouraging message from the Logans as they walk you through this journey of their son's new life. And I hope that you can take something away and I hope that it brings you a new perspective on what real miracles look like and that they still exist. I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Um, thank you guys so much for doing this interview. This interview and this um, podcast episode four is going to be all about encouraging other people, especially during the holidays when people start to go through like real depression. They start missing folks that have passed or maybe are struggling financially or just having things that are happening to them. And it's hard to kind of get a perspective of like what life could be like if dot, dot, dot. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah. I wanted a chance to talk to you guys about Willie and his accident and just hear about like just God's hope 
and its miracles. And I wanted you guys to share all about that. So let's go ahead and dive in. I've got some questions for you guys. So tell me about the night of January. Well, uh, January 11th, of course, is a uh, night that we would never forget. Uh, it was a rainy Friday night on the 11th of January, 2019, in which our, our son was in a car accident in which uh, two other children in the car uh, deceased mm -hmm. because of the impact of the accident. It was him, along with five other young ladies who were leaving a high school basketball game where his high school was facing their across town rivalry. Mm -hmm. And after the, after the basketball game, um, he had called his mother to find out if he can go to the local In-N-Out hamburger restaurant, which was literally less than one mile from the high school. Mm -hmm. And as his mom and he began to have this dialogue about, no, she does not want him to go because she wanted to come and pick him up so that he can go to the local Walmart to help her pick out some uh, cabinets or Shelving. or shelving for our garage mm -hmm. and she she got sick of really going back and forth with him so she said call your father and so he called me and he began to do the same with me and and I basically told him no I want to pick you up it's a rainy night you need to come home and he began to say dad it's right down the street um, literally right down the street and my next response to him was well who's driving and of course, then he told me who was driving and, you know, and all of that. So, yeah, it was a very uh, life-changing experience for us. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not sure how much more you want me to go into that. Uh, well, just, I guess I'll just... Just mm -hmm. to give some context. So, you know, Willie, 16 years old, junior in high school. He is a three-sport athlete, football and baseball and track does decent, you know, gets pretty good grades in school, has good relationships. He's a good kid, you know, a church going kid. So here you have a 16 year old begging to go hang out with their friends in an out burger. You guys as parents, I know personally to be, you know, know where your kid's at at every single pretty much moment of the day. And so this was right. the first time that you guys said, okay, I'll give you a little bit of wiggle room, a little bit of freedom to be a teenager and you know go out and hang out with some friends at a burger joint you know less than a mile from the school so when you guys got the phone call tell me about like from that point forward like you got this call he was in this car accident two of the kids had passed away but at that phone call did you guys know anything at that point um actually we did and i'm gonna let of course michelle chime in here in just a moment uh, but my wife, of course, Michelle called me because, well, it, let's back up a little bit. Remember I told him, all right, go ahead and go. I'll pick you up at 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. He says, thanks dad. He leaves. Well, um, earlier, actually, I had already told him I'm the one that dropped him off at the basketball game. And I said, I'll pick you up at 930. He called me around uh, 8.30. He said the game was letting out early. He wanted to know if he could go to uh, in and out with some of his friends. And, of course, it was a young lady that he was liking. And I initially said no. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I recalled a conversation that my husband and I had had about trying to give him a little bit more flexibility because he is responsible. He was, he's a good boy. He takes care of business, you know, in the classroom. So we had been trying to loosen the reins and this was our first attempt and trying to do that. And so, um, I told him, call your dad, you know, because I wanted to make sure we were in. I couldn't do it. I was uh, visiting with my mom. And so it it was a rainy night. So I thought, well, you know, let your father decide. And so, like my husband said, he called him and said, hey, um, dad, you know, can I go? And he pretty much tried to convince him my husband wasn't in agreement initially. And, you know, we went through the little bit of the, you know, who's driving. And he convinced my husband, she's a licensed driver, dad, and da-da-da-da-da. So my husband relented and said, okay go ahead and I'll pick you up. And so um, after I finished my visit with my mom, I headed towards in and out because I was going to pick him up. And I was dial, I dialed him about three times and he didn't answer. Mm-hmm. So after that point, I called my husband and said, hey, honey, he's not answering. And that's not like our son to ignore the phone call. So um, he said, well, let me try to call him. So my husband called from the first time out and there was no answer. And then he called back. Yeah. So again, you know, Michelle calling me, I said, well, I'll call him. It's probably noisy inside the in and out restaurant. Let me give him a call. So I called him. He did not answer. So I waited probably about five minutes after that. Mm -hmm. Then I gave him a call again. Now this time, the second time, uh, our local police department here in Antioch, California, picked up his cell phone. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that threw me because I didn't know who the man was on the other end of the line. And then uh, I began to ask him, who is this? And he said, well, who are, you know, who are you? Um, and I said, well, I'm the father, you know, of the phone call, you know, of, of the phone in which you're holding. And then he began to make sure he identified who I was. And then he said, sir, this is Antioch Police Department. Mm-hmm. He said, your son has been involved in a car accident. He has been rushed to the trauma hospital in Walnut Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, get there quickly, but drive safe. I would never, ever forget the words of that officer. Mm-hmm. And by this time, I'm standing, literally standing on top of my bed. I said, what did you say? He said, Mr. Logan, your son has been involved, been involved in a car accident. He has been rushed to Johnner Hospital in Walnut Creek. Mm-hmm. Get there quickly, but drive because it is wet out here. Mm-hmm. And that is the words that I heard. Did not know that two girls had already passed away within this accident. Did not know the severity of the injuries of my son. Mm-hmm. So what, obviously you guys rush into the hospital, not knowing what you guys were walking into, if he was alive or if he was dead what were his injuries once you guys did find out that he had survived this accident well his injuries were uh he has he lost his left foot at the accident his left foot was severed at the scene of the accident upon impact of the crash left and left and right legs broken left arm broken and he had head trauma. Mm-hmm. Swelling, and, swelling and bleeding on the brain and various lacerations and, um, you know, bruising and things like that, uh, uh, bruise over the left eye that, uh, that split 
over the eye there that they had to put stitches in. And so um, based on what we were told and obviously what we saw, he had severe injuries. And so um, when we first arrived at the hospital, the caseworker came out and she identified us in the waiting room. And as we were coming through the doors and says, I have a room for you. And you know, that's just a, that's just a, a statement you don't want to hear, you right. know, at the hospital, you have a, you know, a personal room for you because the uh, um, the waiting room was pretty uh, busy because of the other individuals in the accident. So we didn't know who to go to, you know, what to do. Mm-hmm. And so we went in the room and so the caseworker was in there with us. And then two of the surgeons came in and then uh, Antioch police was there to take record, of course. And so uh, one surgeon started off with uh, you know, the brain trauma and the bleeding on the brain, the swelling on the brain and the severity of that. Um, and then the other one, the orthopedic surgeon. the orthopedic surgeon took up from there and began to tell us about the severity. And then of course, closing with, you know, that they, he had lost his left leg, his left uh, mid leg at the scene and mm-hmm. they needed to amputate to do a cleanup and to stop the bleeding and things of that nature. So, of course, at that point, um, I was crumpled. I was crumbled. I was devastated. We both were devastated mm-hmm. and trying to process everything that we've just been told. I, I felt as though I was a little child at that point. Just my insides were inside. I felt like I wanted to be sick. I felt like I wanted to scream. I felt like I wanted to run. And I, the only thing I could think to do was just to, uh, I began to shrink more and more in the side of my husband as we were sitting there, just just feeling like this can't be real is yeah. is really what it was just beyond belief. The, here we are, these overprotective parents. We never let our son get in the car with other people. You know, I'm a team mom for football, a team mom for baseball, a team mom for track, because mm-hmm. we did not want him getting in the car with other people for practices and games and things of that nature you know my husband between he and I were taking him in between every place he needs to go since he started sports was that three years old so and here you know we didn't let him hang out after school that that much we didn't let him you know engage with just everybody he didn't go to parties I mean so it really was quite mind-blowing that we were caught in that same situation that we tried to avoid Right. All of those years. And here we're sitting here listening to the neurologist and orthopedic surgeon. The doctors tell us everything that's going on with our son. And of course, we have not seen him at this point. Mm -hmm. So after that, then they did say, would you like to go see him? And they did tell you guys um, that it would be kind of touch and go for that first 24 hours, correct? It wasn't like a guaranteed he'll make it through the night. First 48 hours. That's 48. correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 He was hooked up to every machine you can think of yeah. in a trauma center. Yeah. And uh, the nurses even indicated to us that even after we got past the first 48 hours, yeah. they revealed to us that they did not even think he would survive right. the first 48 hours. Because of his size and the severity of his injuries, they did not. They literally told us they didn't think that he would survive the first 48 hours. Now that you mentioned his size, how much does, did he weigh at the time and how tall is he? He weighed 138 pounds. He was about 5'10". 
I get. He was about five ten. No, 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 no. He he was a little bit shorter than that. It's about five eight. About five eight. Okay. Yeah, five eight. Um, but yeah, I know he was one hundred and thirty eight. He's a little. He's a skinny guy. He's a little guy. He was a skinny guy. Yeah, a little, little guy. Uh, you know, very slim. Uh, but yet, you know, strong because of sports and you know baseball, working out, weight, and all that kind of stuff. But the, yeah, he he's what you would call a petite uh young man for sure now i you guys didn't mention i don't think um that in the accident he sustained a lot of the injuries along the left side of his body because he was reaching over to almost you know brace the other person next to him from impact so he ended up having rods placed in his left arm and his left leg and his right leg because he did break that's right those as well. Yeah, that's correct. He uh he was sitting in the center. It was an SUV, and he was sitting on the second bench in the center, straddled. Um, saving grace, he did have a seatbelt on. Um, mm-hmm. however, he had one leg under the driver's one foot under the driver's seat and one foot under the passenger seat because he was straddled across both sides. And I believe that one of the uh reasons why he was actually they were able to save that left arm is because he was turned to an angle to give comfort to the young lady that was on the right side of him which was the young lady that he liked so Mm -hmm. from um, what she told us that night or the day after of the accident she said that my son turned to her looked her in the eye and said it's going to be all right and he lost consciousness immediately after that and so um that was, it, it, you know, it, that was just so like his character, you know, mm-hmm. that his father has taught him to be a protector. And, you know, uh, he's always been very compassionate towards people and always, you know, reached out for the underdog. And so I wasn't surprised to hear that. Um, uh, however, of course, going into that room, walking down that hall uh, with our pastor, our, you know, our family and, and, you even as well of course the first one on one of the first ones on that you outside of the family yeah you were one of the first ones of course coming in just devastating because willie has relationship our son willie has a relationship with everybody in the family on his own even without us so it was devastating to the entire family for this to happen yes i can definitely attest to that I, you know, um, before the call, before we started this call, I did share a little bit about like my initial reaction and shock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even just yesterday, my son was saying, mom, I don't think I've ever heard you cry like that in my life, you know, mm-hmm. and it just oh, was yeah. so extreme. So, you know, we made it through the first 48 hours and he was still in a coma. So yeah. how long did he stay in that coma? I believe Willie stayed in um, the actual coma for about two weeks, and then they began putting him in an induced coma mm-hmm. after that um, because they wanted to, they felt that they uh, consulted us that it was definitely good for him to stay under because of the pain that he would be experiencing um, mm-hmm. if he was yeah. alert. But for the most part, uh, he just... Uh, wasn't obviously he the first part of the coma he just was in it and could not come out yeah so Um, it had to be a medically induced coma because they had to allow the swelling of the brain to subside yeah so they put him in the coma 
purposely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, for, cause he, uh, out of the six children that were in the vehicle and outside of the two that deceased, mm-hmm. he had the worst of the injuries. Yeah. yeah. Uh, spending 57 straight days in the hospital, going to three different hospitals. Yeah. yeah. And um, so. But one of the most fascinating things uh, that fascinates me about God and his timing in this is um, here we are weeks later, months later at this point, we finally got our hands on the police report. And we, I noticed, my husband noticed right away that the first responders or the police first police officers on the scene, you know, visualizing the accident and trying to identify what's going on and who's alive and who to help. Um, It was identified that the African-American young male in the car, there was no sign of life. Mm -hmm. It's how it's identified in the police report. Um, And my son literally was in the, it took them uh, close to 40 minutes to get to get the roof off, you know, using the jaws of life and everything else to get the roof off of the car because the car was wrapped around a tree and it hit a wall. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a sea and he was on the inside of that sea. And so, um, a a letter C, if you can, like a letter C, you can imagine the letter C. And so they, uh, it took them 40 minutes to get him out of the car. And so he's literally sitting in the car bleeding to death for Mm -hmm. 40 minutes. Um, however, coming out of by them finally lifting him out, getting him on the gurney, and the uh, EMT first responder saying, "We got a pulse. Yeah, we have vitals." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So one thing I can say, even regarding our faith, yeah. and I'm just going to go back to the initial phone call because when I got when I called my son in the uh, the police department picked up the phone. I did not initially call my wife at all. Um, I got dressed. I walked outside of my home. I began to circle my truck in a complete circle, mm-hmm. circling my truck, calling on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, mm. because that is the only help that I knew. Mm in a time of trouble. And my prayer was, Lord, spare his life. Mm -hmm. That was my prayer. Then I called my pastor. I called uh, my good friend. And then I called my wife because I did not want to call her, but I know I needed to call and I have to call her. And so, like she said earlier, she was in Concord visiting with you all's mother mm-hmm. and uh, my mother-in-law. And I called her and I said, I'll meet you in Walnut Creek. She said, no, I'm coming home so we can ride together. So I waited for her to come home, which took probably about a good seven minutes. But she was, I'm, I'm sure, breaking laws trying to get home. <laughs> I can imagine. And when we got into the truck, we held each other's hands and we began to call on Jesus as we were traveling down Mm. the highway. And our prayer was together was Lord spare his life. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do, just spare his life. And I just wanted to make sure 
that I, um, I let your listeners understand that that was our hope. That was our prayer because we knew nothing else to do. Yeah. Uh, being, being, being raised in the church most of our lives, we knew nothing else to do. And we knew no other, no other help that we knew but to call on the oh, mighty and powerful name of Jesus. That's right. You know, as a family, I know, um, and I don't, I don't think I'm going to get to this interview without crying. So, <laughs> you know, I'm like already like shaking, just reliving and talking about this. But yeah. I remember as yeah. a family, um, we were, I mean, I, I hung up from the initial call yeah. to shock. I hung up. You hung me. up on me. <laughs> I hung up in my sister's face. I was so <laughs> traumatized. And then when I got to the hospital and I, I don't even think it took us, I can't say for sure about you guys, but I don't think it took me more than 48 hours to get over the loss of the leg. Yeah. So we were so focused on his mind and him, his you know, life, his you know? life yeah. and getting past the 48 hours. And, and then even when he was in the coma, you know, we talked about like, at least I was, my mind was thinking, well, here's all the things he can do with the prosthetic because my, our focus was where was his mind going to be? Was he going to be able to wake up? What was he going to yeah. be able to feed himself? And because the doctors were telling you guys when he wakes up, he may not be able to even feed himself for a year. So, or he might not even recognize who we are. Or he, exactly. So when he started coming out of his coma, they started taking him off of the medications. What were some of the early signs that he was starting to come out of his coma? Can you guys kind of share that with some of the listeners? Well, yeah, I'll say something and then I'll let um, Michelle jump in. Uh, one thing that really fascinated me and, and, and our prayer was, was that my prayer as a father, I was, Lord, uh, heal his mind. Mm-hmm. Complete a healing, make a miraculous healing of his mind. I said, I can deal with him with the leg, but only you can heal the mind. Yeah. You can heal the brain. You're the creator of the body, the creator of the universe. Lord, if, if you can't do it, it cannot be done. That's right. So if you just touch his mind and his brain, I know everything would be all right. So one thing that I noticed was, is when you all would come, in which Tyrenda, you lived at the hospital, you were there every, every day. single day, yeah. anywhere from eight to 12 hours a day. Yeah. And we appreciate your love that you have for your nephew. Yeah. And we even had to tell you, go home, you have a family. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but um, what, when your family would come, and then when I noticed how, uh, him and Todd would, you know, Todd would grab his hand and then they have this own personal handshake that they would do. And at the end of the handshake, they would snap their finger. Mm-hmm. And we all looked when it happened, like he remembered how to do that. Right. Even in a, uh, in a, in a state of coma. Yeah. He yeah. remembered the handshake. He re- he remembered the voice yeah. of his cousin. Mm-hmm. I um, definitely, uh, it was, I think one of the fascinating things that we experienced Tyrone together was I had put some toothpaste on an electric toothbrush and I put it in Willie's hand and I said, 
son brush your teeth. And I moved the toothbrush to his lips and he began to smile and brush his teeth mm-hmm. while he was in a, a comatose state was when I knew he could hear us. But one of the things that the doctor said from the beginning, because they showed us the x-ray at the very beginning and the, yeah, the trauma, the CAT, scan, yeah. the CAT scan and all of the trauma that had taken place and the swelling, they even put um, a stent in his head to monitor the brain. The, the brain waves to yeah. see if the swelling was getting better or worse, the bleeding was stopping or not. And they had to drill that hole in his mm. skull mm. Um, and cut, you know, his hair. And it just, the, the entire journey was traumatic. Every, I mean, he had three surgeries within a week mm-hmm. um, because they, they, but they kept saying he's strong. He's stable. We should do it now before the tissue begins to harden. And before, and it was like he had uh, the leg surgery that night. He had, they did the left arm two days later. They mm-hmm. did the leg, put the, the stilt in his, I mean, the, uh, the rods in his leg, yeah. you know, a few days. And every time they would tell us, oh, it's going to be about a week or two and we'll do this. And next, you know, they were calling saying, we're going to do it today. And it was just, we kept getting shocked you know, and it was like, okay, they're doing it. They're going to do it now. They're going to do it now. Um, And we lived, we lived, we literally lived at that hospital. Um, And, you know, it really was the different things along the way, how you were extremely instrumental in getting reflex from him at Mm -hmm. the beginning. Um, Whereas I just didn't have the nerve to inflict pain because that's how he was reflexing through pain. And then when his sister came in from New Mexico, Trinique, you and her partnered together and you you guys kept going in there when they were saying, okay, we're going to do it. It got to a point that where the nurses weren't even doing it. You guys were doing it because mm-hmm. the responses were getting, were so great and so good. And so it just, it just continued to evolve in that method, you know, where we were just, triggering him and getting him to do things and seeing things, you know? Um, so, so just so your listeners can understand what we're saying is that, and as you already know, Tarenda, they, again, he's in this uh, medically induced coma. So what they would do from uh, two hours, about every, every two hours, mm-hmm. they will uh, release him from the medication. Mm-hmm. And then the, the nurse or family members, well, mostly the nurses, will come in and begin to pinch him on his shoulder blades uh-huh. to wake uh-huh. him to wake him up, and and then call out a command. So once you inflict pain, now you have to call out a command like Willie, lift your, uh, give me a left thumbs up, or give me a right thumbs up, mm-hmm. or move your left leg, or move your right leg. Mm-hmm. And me, it would break my heart to see my son in that much pain mm-hmm. when people would pinch on him. Mm-hmm. And his eyes are rolling in the back of his head. So mm-hmm. I viewed it probably once or twice, and then I can't do it any longer. Mm-hmm. And that's when you and Trinique and Michelle and the nurses, you know, you guys did that. But that's just how severe this whole thing was. Yeah, and we came such a long way, you know, from him not even being able to open his eyes. So we were just taking these baby steps all along the way, you know, first we wanted to get, can you hear us, you know, and then can you, you know, we were like, Oh, we see his eyeballs. He's opening his eyeballs a little bit. And then, you know, we, we felt he squeezed my hand and, you know, so it was, we were appreciative and thankful to the Lord for every milestone that he was giving us along the way. And they were baby steps. 
And I know that the nurses and the doctors were looking at us with such hope, you know, and just feeling like, oh my goodness, they don't have any idea what's going on here, you know? And we just kept, stayed in worship. You know, we were singing, we were praying, we sang out loud, we played his favorite gospel songs, and we just kept the room in a place of worship. And I believe he, the doctor said, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to hear you. And I believe he did. So I remember one of my memories, um, obviously the Todd one was pretty traumatic because I was there like, whoa, this, that was a big one. The toothbrushing was a big one. I think one of the funniest ones was him with his brush. Um, He was still, you know, they had taken him off the medication for a couple of hours you handed him a hairbrush and said, brush your hair. And he took it and he has a certain way that he likes to hold it. So he arranged it in his hand the way he likes to hold it, not not the way you handed it to him. And then he proceeded to brush his hair all while he had not yet opened his eyes fully. He had not spoken a word, but he knew how to do those motor skills. And I thought, I think even the nurses at that point thought, okay, he's probably ready to be moved out of ICU. Um, Right he's responding to commands now, whereas before he wasn't responding to commands. So how long did it take once he had been moved out of ICU for him to start speaking? Because he, he would open his eyes at that point. He had started to go through some therapy, but it took him a long time to start to say some words. How long was that? Oh my goodness. Um, That would would probably have been around the 40th day. Yeah, maybe yeah. 45. Because he spent 57 days in the hospital. Yeah. And uh, when he got to rehabilitation is when he began to go through speech therapy and occupational yeah. therapy and yeah. physical therapy. So I would say we probably did not hear his voice from January the 11th until uh, after Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, actually, in, in truth, while he was in Vacaville, he, in the Vacaville Trauma Center, he never did speak. Mm-hmm. He never did speak. He didn't start speaking until he got to Vallejo, mm-hmm. because then the nurses start saying, oh, my God, was that his voice? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. they had never heard his voice. And his voice is very deep for yeah. his size and his age. And so they had never heard, even though, and that, that that's just the whole that's the thing, the timing of God and the people that the Lord allowed to be a part of this journey, because we had an option to send them to a different facility and we went to go check it out. And it's a type of um, enabling facility that would have allowed him to stay in the state that he was in for a longer period of time. And they would have just helped us to learn how to deal with it. And I didn't and I, my husband and I, we went into, we met with them. And I remember the doctor saying, or yeah, the doctor on staff and was saying that, you know, well, tell us about your son. And we began to tell and share about who he was and this and that. We had this doctor report up and showing his progress and what have you. And she was saying, you know, let me just interject a level of reality for you. You know, he may never, you know, be able to say your name. He may never be able to feed himself. He may never, and it was just, you know, I, I don't know if she realized how how difficult it was to hear that. Yeah. However, our belief in God, we walked out of there. I remember hugging the therapist and was saying, you know, we're really going to be able to work with your son. It's a new, innovative facility, brand new, beautiful. 
And I left out of there. My husband, I sat in the truck and he said, what do you think? I said, that's not the facility for my son. Mm-hmm. That I wanted him in the acute rehab, which is a more advanced because I believe they would help him move him, propel him forward. And however, he had a rectal tube, he had a, a catheter, he had um, the, the trach still, he had the pick in his arm. He was still so far from a rehab in their eyes. But we kept on trusting God that he was going to continue to move him forward. And it was a matter of a good week. It was a week, mm-hmm. literally a week. We had a conversation with the doctors on a um, Tuesday, and they said, we're going to move him next Wednesday to one of these facilities, and most likely it's going to be this other one. We had a week. And mm-hmm. I told my husband that night, I said, God can do it. God can do this. And I knew it looked bleak. Mm-hmm. I knew it looked like impossible because the nurses and everyone else was looking. But the other thing about what you were saying, Ty, is that um, he was moved many times. He moved in um, the ICU trauma center in Walnut Creek. He moved twice. The first reason was because he was in the doorway and the media came in and tried to take pictures of him that night. And they moved him immediately. I mean, John Muir is a phenomenal hospital. They acted and they resolved. And then they moved him when he was doing better. They moved him to Kaiser because we're dual Kaiser members. So they moved him to Kaiser when he was out of that that part of the, the woods. And so when they moved into to Vacaville, he moved well, which, to Vacaville. They which, took him out of ICU. Which is another trauma. Which is another trauma right. center. Right. They moved him out of ICU that night, and they moved him back in ICU the next day because his pressures were going mm-hmm. up and down. So he wasn't as stable as they thought he was. Um, but you guys basically really, had a week to try to show these doctors that he was more than just in a vegetative type of state, that he could be responsive, he could do things, and he was ready to be at a more advanced center. So you guys just took a step out on faith, and, and then next thing you know, things started happening. The hair brushing, the tooth brushing, the handshakes. Um, yeah. and then they it actually, really was, God had a week. God yeah, had a God week. had a week. We, there was nothing we could do except pray. Yes. Nothing we could do but pray and stand on our faith and trust God that he was going to do it. And we kept on reading, praying. My husband anointed his body every single night. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, just, we just believed, we were just crazy enough to believe God could do it. And so he then he gets moved to the more advanced rehab center. And now you're talking yeah. 30 plus days without your son in the home. And I know one of the things that you and I had talked about quite a bit was how lonely the nights were and how much you guys didn't enjoy necessarily being home because you were used to having that extra person, the voice, the mom, can I have a, can you make me a, can you take me to So how did you guys manage those nights? Wow. Uh, That's something that you bring that up because we had such peace and connection when we were in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But it would be when we would come home, and like you just uh, articulated correctly, when you come home and that voice and that body is not here, yes, that room is empty. It's not like you at his cousin's house at a sleepover, but he is actually in a medical center 
medical center fighting for his life. And so those nights started out very difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, I said they started out difficult, Mm -hmm. but as the journey went, our faith grew even stronger. Yeah. Our faith did not diminish in this, but it increased. Yeah. It Mm -hmm. increased because we know the God of the universe. We know the God of creation. Yeah. And we trust and believe that he could do anything but fail. But fail. And so in times of troubles, I believe sometimes God would give you a word or he would give you a scripture. Yeah. And the scripture I would like to share with your listeners was is found in Psalms of 27th. Uh, it is the 13th and the 14th verse. And it simply says, I had fainted. Yeah unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Mm. Mm. So we did not faint, but we held strong to our belief. We held strong to our conviction. And we felt just like the three Hebrew boys, Mm. When they had threw those boys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And he told the king, even if our God does not deliver us, he's able. able. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we knew even if God does not, you know, heal our son, he was able. But Mm -hmm. to come into a home and that voice not be there. It took prayer. Yeah. We got on our knees every night. Every single night. We would call our daughter um, in Albuquerque, and she would, you know, so we have a three-way conversation in prayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that strengthened us on our knees, yeah. crying out to God. Yeah. And when I say sometimes all we did was cry. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes all we do was moan. Mm. Because... Mm-hmm. It was very, it was a real thing. And I've described it to other people. I said it was a crushing. Yeah. It was a crushing of the soul. Yeah. We were crushed. Mm-hmm. But even through the crushing, the Lord picked us up and walked us through this journey, yeah. even though we were crushed. Yes. So tell me, how, how long have you guys been married? Uh, July 21st of this year, we just celebrated our 29th year of marriage. Next year, 2020 would be 30 years of marriage. Yeah. Now I asked, I asked this question because when you deal with tragedies like this, it doesn't matter if you're married for 50 years or five minutes or five months, there's always that side eye of, well, you let him go or you told him to call me and you start to kind of do the ping pong ball going back and forth of the blame mm-hmm. game. Yeah. And I know personally, because I was there that that initial 24 hours, there was like that guilt of, I let him, I let him do this. Willie, mm-hmm. how did you move past that? And Michelle, how did you move past it as his wife together? Well, I mean, yeah, that was in my head. Oh my goodness, so much. And I just simply was just saying, all I had to do was pick him up. If I would have went 
and picked up my son, mm -hmm. we would not be in this situation. Mm -hmm. All I had to do was go and pick him up. Mm -hmm. You know, forget about all of his begging and pleading and no, I'm mm -hmm. coming to get you. Like I've done on many occasions. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, the guilt of me um, not going to pick him up did weigh on me. Mm -hmm. However, I looked at him after the first night. When we got home, and I guess it was more like the second night, I guess, I don't know. And I said, honey, is there anything in this situation that you wish I would have done different? He said, no. He said, is there anything you feel like I should have done different? I said, no. I said, you are his father. You made the best choice that you felt at that time, as I would have. Mm -hmm. From this point on, we will not woulda, shoulda, coulda. We won't look back, and we will not blame. We're both good parents, and this was just a tragic situation that the Lord designed to happen. Mm -hmm. And we are either going to take this thing. I, I remember looking at the film saying, we're going to deal with this. We could deal with this in one or two ways. We can moan. We can cry. We can wonder why the Lord allowed and how come Willie and everything else and, mo and mourn our way through this. Or we can praise our way through it. Mm -hmm. God's going to get his glory. He's gonna, we're going to give him the praise. But I refuse to be defeated and we can't operate in both modes at the same time we're either going to be in hope stand on faith and continue to build and grow and stand together or we're going to be at each other and we don't we didn't choose to do that we just we decided we're putting all our energy and our time into encouraging each other and being as strong as we can you're right it was very very difficult to mm come home and uh, not hear my son's voice. That's never been ever, you know, a couple of spending night sleepovers, but that's not the same. It was hard for me to eat at first because I didn't feel like I deserved to because mm -hmm. my son couldn't eat. It was hard to sleep. I remember times we were just beholding each other mm -hmm. at night and crying in bed, but getting on our knees in prayer allows me the opportunity. And I believe my husband and my daughter as well to shed the tears that we needed to get that burden off of us on the hurt we were feeling. And we were able to wake up that morning and put our armor back on and go back and get back in the fight. So when we got to him, we were always ready to handle what we had to deal with. That's right. And when he came out of the coma, he didn't come out of the coma. Yes, he was wondering, where's my leg? The first thing that Willie gestured, even before he was talking well and just making sound, the first thing he did was lean over the right side of his bed. He tapped his father on the shoulder and he put his hands together to ask his father for prayer. Oh, wow. That's the first thing he did. Mm. And that let us know, that just affirmed we're in a spiritual battle here. Yes. And now whatever's going on in his head, we got to make sure that we overshadow that with all of God's goodness and grace. Yes, your leg is lost, but your life 
has been renewed. Mm-hmm. It has been saved. It's been saved. Wow. And talk about literally. I mean, how many times do we say we're saved by grace? We're saved by grace. Yeah. He was yeah. literally saved by grace. Literally. And I literally. just love, I love that your guys' marriage and your faith in God did not allow you guys to go down a dark path of blame and self-blame or, you know, pointing the fingers because even it's even the smallest things in marriage, we can be so, you know, we could just be such nitpicky people of, you know, in our marriages. And, and this is a big thing. And you guys chose to bond together because what happened that night, any parent that could have been any parent, any parent could have said, sure, go stop calling me, go ahead. I'll pick you up in 20 minutes. Right. You know, in those 20 minutes, things change so fast you know yeah. and i know as christians and strong in your faith was there ever a time where maybe secretly you were a little bit pissed off at god like come on seriously the lord um, my lord <laughs> you know let me let me tell you of course that's an individual thing and i'll speak for myself not at all mm-hmm. not one inkling did i ever feel angry at god um i did wonder why Mm-hmm. Uh, why did you allow this to happen? And, and when I would ask that question, mm. I would be reminded of stories mm. in the Bible of how God had to afflict mm. people in order to get them on the right path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I won't take up your time on this podcast with that, but unless you just want me to, but there, there are stories in the Bible, which God had uh, afflicted people purposely because they were going down the wrong path. And sometimes God has to get your attention. Mm -hmm. And with our son, even though he was born and raised in the church, he yet still had a hard head. Mm -hmm. And he mm-hmm. would, and there were, and there was things that he would do uh, that he knew he should not have been doing. Mm-hmm. But I'll save that for another time, and I'll let Michelle answer the question you asked in regards to did we ever feel angry at God? Um, I didn't. I can honestly, genuinely say I didn't, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, I didn't because I wanted God's mercy. Mm. I wanted God to, I wanted him to hear our pleas uh, for the, uh, the life of our son. Yes. And I didn't want, I didn't have room in me for the wondering why. Because I'd been serving God for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord saved me when I was 12 and filled me with the Holy Ghost when I was 13. And I've been, you know, not the perfect saint, but certainly trying my best to live a life of Christ, uh, you know, my whole life. So I don't know anything about anything, but the, when you find yourself in a desperate situation, mm-hmm. I know who to call. So I did, that was no time in my life to me to be wondering, Lord, why my son, why my son? Cause I felt like there's a bigger, there's a bigger uh, purpose. purpose for him. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. He doesn't know what it is. But all along our son's life, we've always told them, you're not a follower. You're a leader. And God is going to get his glory out of your life. You can give it willingly, or you can 
be hard-headed, but at some point, he's going to do what he needs to do. So did I think it was going to be this? No. Did I? But I did afterwards when it happened. All I could say was, God, thank you, because to me, it was an either-or situation. My son could have died, yeah. and he spared him. So I'm just in a place of thanks the whole time. Yeah. I'm just thanking God for you, this could have been a whole different end of story, That's you right. know? So I wasn't going to sit up there. I can't sit up there and curse God and thank him in the same, same with the same mouth. You know what right. I mean? I can't sit up there and say, Lord, thank you for saving this life and sparing him. But why my son? I mean, to me, those are contradictory, you know? So that was my mindset. I just, I love that. Cause it's, you know, I'm always the philosophical one of the family, the deep thinker, like why, you know, God, would you do this or that? Mm-hmm. And I can even mm-hmm. say even for myself during that time, every little thing was such a victory. You know, he opened yeah. his eyes. He, you know, his heart rate is up and normal. You know, he's yeah. going to the bathroom. I haven't been so yeah. happy to talk about poop and pee and, you right, know. Right, right. <laughs> he ate this and that. And, you know, he ate a pudding yeah. today. I mean, yeah. there was, like you said, there was just no room for the negativity. Right. Everything was just a celebration, you know. Yeah. Um, so what is Will? I mean, obviously he's had, he had months and months of rehab and, you know, learning how to do things on his own. That yeah. was, you know, a long process, but tell the listeners, what is his current state now? What does his life look like? Currently, um, well, let me just say, uh, God is still working on his behalf. Uh, our son is now 17. Uh, he, uh, promoted from his junior year. He had home hospital starting in um, April April, uh, until June. He had to catch up on a whole semester of school. And there was a wonderful teacher that came and to the house, uh, you know, a few times a week and was able to get him caught up. And it was a lot of work for his mother. Um, And we got through that and he cleared or he, concluded his junior year with a 3.43 and it it, it's 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 amazing um Mm -hmm. I used to say God is so good and my son would say no mom God is amazing Mm -hmm. and that's how we you know identify but a lot of um uh trying to figure out how to move in life and of course we started out in the wheelchair he came home in the wheelchair he uh, promoted on to the walker and, you know, crutches. And although he has a cane, he's still provo- provo- uh, um, like, you know, one crutch. But now he's blessed with a prosthetic and he is learning how to use, I mean, it was baby steps, learning how to walk and sit and move. And the prosthetic is titanium, so it's very heavy. And he, like we've said earlier in the segment, he's a small guy. He went, he started out before the accident, 138 pounds, and he went down to about 113 or probably smaller than that. Mm -hmm. And um, now he's back up to 125 pounds. So he's getting so much better every day. His speech, his recollection. um, It's still funny how sometimes he'll forget some basic things and he'll call me from school and and say, Mom, what did you say that I was supposed to turn in again? Even though he'll have a big folder that says turn in, you know, you just forget some basic things. But um, so there's still some growth there with his his memory. But um, overall, I would probably say about um, probably about 60 you know, probably about 60, 65% of his memory is intact and, and his recollection of 
his life and who he was as a child and everything, but um, he never, ever stops praising God in everything he does. You know, he recognizes that, and he says almost every day, I'm only here because God allowed me to. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm standing here right now breathing because God saved my life. You know, we had an opportunity to celebrate his 17th birthday, rites of passage, in a very huge way as a family. And wow, what a celebration of life mm-hmm. it was in so many more ways than just the typical. Um, and so he's coming along very, very well. He's independently able to uh, progress and do the things that he needs to do. It is his senior year. Um, he was accepted into six colleges. Uh, based on his academics. Mm-hmm. However, uh, with that said, my husband and I and Willie are feeling like we need to take a little bit of a detour here uh, based on um, is he really able to go away from home, you know, leave the state? No, he is not. Um, and so therefore, we are looking into local state college and possibly community college uh, to give him a little bit more time to heal. And so, but knowing that we have options, and things of that nature we're very excited about. And he's just, we see the growth and they're coming in leaps and bounds. The doctor said that it would probably be about a year before he was fully himself. Um, and so with that, we, we're seeing the growth and, and the, you know, the progress in him, the maturity. But I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing him in service, in church, worshiping God. Mm. Mhm. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I get a chance to talk to him and see him pretty often. But mm-hmm. even I can see the changes, you know, just from when yeah. we first came home and the memory and and not really being able to tolerate a lot of noise and kind of chaos and our family is crazy and we're loud and we want to play games yeah. Yeah. and sing songs and so to see his him evolve even just you know over the last four or five months um yeah. where he started is just it's just been a miracle i always say he's just a miracle it's just a miracle that's the word yeah, i use all the absolutely. time so that's what the doctor calls him his doctor um he's still under doctor's care with the rehab uh dr sam and dr sam sees him and he says that's my miracle patient yeah because they're they're extremely fascinated by his progress mm-hmm. so quickly it's only been now 11 months since yeah. the day of the accident yeah. and the progress has been amazing. So I've got a good, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's been 11 months yet. I don't well, think. this is uh, November. It's been it like 10 January. months. So me and my sister, yeah. just so you guys know, listeners, me and my sister, don't, we don't count very well when it comes to months. It's probably been about 10 <laughs> months. So <laughs> it's been about 10 months. Um, yeah. So, you know, as a parent, you know, we always want to meet our kids, you know, their dreams. And I know Willie's dream was to one day play in the MLB. He was an amazing baseball player. How do yeah. you pivot those dreams, even just as a parent? Like, even though we, we don't mean to, it's almost like we're living these little dreams through our kids, you know, um, because mm-hmm. we see the talent, the potential. How do you pivot and make new dreams with your kid? How does that work as parents for you guys? Well, again, we just have to face, you know, our physical reality Mm -hmm. and um, because it's super hard uh, to 
for any athlete to get to the pivotal level of a sport. It's super hard to get into the NFL. It's super hard to get into the NBA. Yeah. It's super hard to get into the MLB. Mm-hmm. So now even with this disability, mm-hmm. um, you know, we now just have to focus on other things mm-hmm. as far as your health, as far as your academia. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things that are of the utmost importance, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, even if you did not have a, a disability, mm-hmm. it's still of the utmost importance. Mm-hmm. So now with a disability, of course, it's all about um, your academics. It's all about being healthy mm-hmm. and not giving up on the dream. Right. Even though you have a disability, let's still work toward it. Yeah. Right now, because he's in the batting cages, he's hitting the ball, if he's smashing the ball. Yeah. And, all right. And now, after we, so that now that you have your hand and eye coordination mm-hmm. coming back around, yeah. now what about can you catch the ball mm-hmm. uh, when the ball is thrown at you at a high velocity? Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, eventually, can you run right. on the prosthetic? Right. 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 So uh, we still mm-hmm. want the light to be lit in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And we have to be careful not to dim the light. Yeah. Yes. So that's why we continue to allow him to work in the sport that he loves so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. He's open for the opportunity to be able to play spring ball. And so with that, he's lifting weight. He's working mm-hmm. out. He's mm-hmm. trying to get his body strong again. And it's never a no until it's a no. Right. And that's pretty much where we're living. I'm not going to tell him no. If he wants it, he's got to fight for it. Yeah. He's yeah. got to work for it. And it is possible. But it just depends on how bad he wants it. Right. And if that is the direction of what the Lord would allow. The, the field is open. The team is very much aware and has been extremely supportive on where he is. And I believe they would allow him, if he could get to at least a, a, you know, a reasonable level of performance so it really just is dependent on him but we just don't we don't discourage him uh, because we don't know what god's plan is for his life we may be saying if i had been saying no and oh he will never be able to walk normal again you know we'll be there but god is amazing and and what he's doing in our lives and what he may do and it 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 just may not be for him and that's okay too and if not then the lord is going to open up another door that will uh, take his interest. But, you know, he's a very excitable, you know, upbeat type young man. And he's, he has a zeal for life and um, even more now than ever. And he's just sort of taking it with it. He's so proud of himself and he's so thankful to the Lord for his grades and as hard as he's working and, you know, all of that right now. He's just sort of taking each milestone as he goes on. Yeah, and just so the listeners know, I did chase him around my house yesterday and make him run on his. <laughs> so I know it is possible because I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of funny. <laughs> so tell me, we're just, last couple of questions here. Tell me what you guys have learned about each other, and about your marriage, and about your family going through this experience. Well, um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the initial state again, when the, when that news is uh, verbalized to you, and you got a neurologist telling you that your son has head trauma, mm-hmm. 
and you have an orthopedic surgeon saying that your son has an amputation. Mm -hmm. And Michelle, she literally disappeared as if she was trying to re-enter into or enter into my right rib cage, (laughs) which she has never come from. Right. Because we're not Adam and Eve. (laughs) But she really just melted inside the right side of my body. We were crushed. Yeah. And um, but what I've learned about her throughout this whole ordeal is that uh, her faith uh, is is strong, hmm. and um, the love that she has for not only me and her children, but the love she or her family, but the love that she has for God and trusting God and believing in God. So um, just seeing that strength. And seeing all that she does as a mom, I mean, I went back to work after three weeks. Um, She spent every day in the hospital, Mm -hmm. uh, 10 to 12 hours a day, and just seeing that she was not leaving her son's side. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be there from the time that he woke up to the time that he went to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And um, just the resiliency of her strength. I mean, and this happened in January. So it was wet, rainy, windy storms out here in Northern California. And to get in her car, and she's, uh, she's not the driver of the family. I, I, I do the most driving, but yeah. she was driving, you know, in these wet, windy roads yeah. to be with her son and to come back home and then to go back out again. Just a strength that she showed me throughout this whole thing mm. of not giving up. And working her son to bring him back to where he is today, mm. um, I saw nothing but, and my love even increased even the more for her. Mm-hmm. You know, just how she takes care of her family, and so mm. that that's that, that's what I saw, and that's what I felt, and that's what I've learned. I felt um, I, I felt like this was. Um, I've always been so heavily dependent on my husband for the spiritual aspect of our family mm-hmm. and the foundation, you know, oh, you, we need prayer. Okay. When your dad gets home, we're going to, not that I couldn't, and I didn't know how to reach heaven for myself. I just, I honored him with who he was in our life as the king of our home and the leader of our home. And he gave that, made that foundation. And that was just a. You say king? A, he was, you know, you're the king of our home. <laughs> Come on, Matt. Come on. <laughs> um, and just the one that uh, brought that spiritual aspect to our our home on the regular basis. And so, this was the first time that I had seen my son, my husband, so spiritually vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because this was his son. Yeah, And I've seen my husband, he's, my husband has lost his mom, he's lost his brother, he's lost his sister. So he, he's familiar with pain and loss. However, seeing him feel what he needed to feel with what he was going through with his son, it was, it was devastating. And it, it, it hurt me. And I realized what he needed from me at this time in our life is my strength. He needed me to rise up and do what he would do. Yeah. And it wasn't a time for me to be, you know, you know, all soft and, you know, the weaker vessel here as I know that I am. Uh, But it was a time that he was dependent on me. And 
so many ways. One of them was when he had to go back to work, that hurt him as well, that he couldn't be there with me every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to hear, and I would FaceTime him and say, you know, dad, say something, FaceTime your dad. He's watching you walk down the hall or he's watching you. This is it, you know, so he stayed connected. And mm-hmm. every night he would still anoint him over the phone mm-hmm. and, and reach out to him. So keeping him connected. And I understood my responsibility to not just my son, Willie, but to my husband, Willie, and what he needed. That was not the time for me to be getting information from the doctor and not sharing with him or forgetting to tell him this or, oh, yeah, Willie did this today. I forgot to tell you. That wasn't, this wasn't that time. That That full exposure of communication was required. That full transparency was required. Being able to still show my vulnerability and my fragility was required. Being able to show my strength, and I got this, honey, regardless of my fears of going across the Benicia Bridge in the rain. I, mm-hmm. it, it, he, just, he couldn't deal with Willie and me at the same time. You know what I mean? He needed to know that I was doing what he needed me to do. And I understood that. And then on the other side was me understanding that my son needed me. Mm-hmm. He needed me. I mean, if I wasn't there at nine something, when he got up, he wouldn't eat. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't go to the restroom. He wouldn't let the nurses do anything to him because he didn't want to, them to see him and to be touching on him. So I had to be there. And when I wasn't, he was using the nurse's phone. They would say, you know, your son, he won't let us come out of the restroom or, you know, he won't eat anything. And, you know, he needed that connection, you know, of his mom, because that's what I have done his entire life. So this, I have to keep doing what I need to do. And I work a full-time job. I work in, in technology. I was out of my job for 57 days before they saw me again. Mm-hmm. And I, I commend my company for allowing me the time to do that. Um, but it was, it was just a time of strength as what I felt. And I, I really saw my husband in a, in a very different. And so, you know, we as wives, we always want to have, we want to see the inside of our husband. You know what I mean? We yes. don't, we understand who they have to be to the world and for the world and, you know, the spiritual leaders and this, but our, as women, as wives, we want to see, we want to know we have a corner or a part of our husbands that no one else sees. Mm-hmm. And I got that. You know, I got a chance to feel him and he knew what I needed. It was, it was, he knew when he just needed to lay in bed and hold me at night and let me cry. Mm-hmm. I didn't need him to try to talk me through something all the time. I just needed him to hold me and tell me it's going to be okay. And we just, answered each other is really what I felt. We answered and we did what we needed each other to do. I, I saw him, my husband, so much bigger through this. I, I saw what my son sees in him. I saw it before, but this is different. You know, the, the strength of a father, the responsibility of a father, the need of a father Mm -hmm. and, and as a husband, it, it was, it was, it was, so we grew, my husband and I grew so much in this process. So his accident was not just for him. It was yeah. for me. 
Yeah. It was for my husband. It was for my daughter. My daughter cried out on that phone, praying for her mom and her dad and her brother. And that girl reached heaven from New Mexico because Mm -hmm. of her relationship with her brother. When she first saw him, she climbed up on that bed, wrapped her arms around him and whispered in his ear, son, because she calls him son, son, Mm -hmm. this is Neek and you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. That's strength. Because she was so broken. Mm-hmm. So it was a tough time, but we learned a lot about each other, and we knew who we were as a family. And it, it came transparent in this journey. Well, I definitely, in the last two questions, but I definitely will say, I think the reach of this story and this testimony is so far beyond what you guys could even imagine. I mean, I know, you know, you have a reach in the church, and prayers were going out all over the world when this all yeah. was happening. But it I was. still, I'm not even the mama. And I still have people asking yeah. how he's doing. People I don't even talk to except for on social yeah. media and maybe hear very little. And how mm-hmm. he touched them and this story touched them. And they're going back to church or they're going to be, you know, taking their kids to church or Sunday school. Or they want to yeah. know more about the Lord. I had someone reach out to me on a DM on Instagram saying, I just committed my heart to the Lord because, Mm -hmm. you know, so these are things, this story is so far much more reaching than you guys could ever imagine. A lot of the viewers or listeners on this podcast probably are not Christians. Mm -hmm. Talk about, you know, just very quickly talk about how somebody who doesn't know the Lord, what can they do to start to learn about him? What should they be doing? Where should they be going? Like, how do they get this process started to learn about God? Wow. Well, um, it really is a faith walk. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is a walk of faith. Mm -hmm. You have to have something that you believe in, Mm -hmm. something that you would put your trust in and your faith in. And for me, at the age of six years old, when my mother came to know Christ through my grandmother and her church is how we begin to see our lives change as a family. Mm-hmm. So church from the age of six to now I'm 55 years old um, is all that I really knew. I mean, I knew things outside of the church in which I even tried to get involved in, but I found myself coming back. Hmm. to the place of my foundation. Hmm. So for those listeners who may not be Christian or even believers, Mm -hmm. there is a place within you that is empty Mm -hmm. and you're trying to fill it with other things, Mm -hmm. whether it be alcohol, whether it be whatever it may be. Um, But you must try God. Mm-hmm. for yourself mm-hmm. because I have known him throughout my life um, to be a healer yeah you know I have known him to be a good listener mm-hmm. I have known him just to be uh, all that he says he is mm-hmm. even through the scriptures so I would recommend that they find a, a true Bible believing church mm-hmm who the man or the woman of God speaks the word of God. Yeah. That it's not about them, but it's all about God. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and through that that could be a stepping stone or a place into newfound faith yeah Perfect. you know because even yeah. yeah yeah and i would say i would like to add the the first thing you have to do is be real with yourself and understand you need help you want help mm-hmm. there's got to be something better there's got to be um a way that you could get help and god is your help god is help in the in the midst of no matter what you're going through there's nothing too big that god can't can't see you mm-hmm. and you don't have to be of any high stature or any certain place you could be drunk or high but when you call and you get on your knees and you say lord i need help i want to be real i want to be right i just I don't even know what I'm supposed to be looking for or what I'm supposed to be doing, but I need your help. God can change your situation mm-hmm. around. He can bring that comfort of peace if you feel a sense of depression or a sense of loss or, you know, no matter what you're going through, it's nothing too hard for God and it's nothing too big for God. And it's not about a religion or anything like that. It's about having a sincere genuine true relationship with the lord and the only and no one can do that for you you mm-hmm. have to understand now at this point in your life you know what get on your knees raise your hands to the lord open your heart and speak with your mouth lord i need help yeah yep. help me show me tell me what to do and he will answer you just beautifully said and so many people are in a situation right now with the holidays coming up they're feeling sadness they're feeling depression last comments from you guys tell them some encouraging words coming from a couple and a family who have suffered something so tragic and now are coming out on the other side of it and even through it all you guys kept hope and faith so strong and at the forefront how do you keep encouraged tell someone tell the listeners how they can stay encouraged during this time okay well, during this time of Thanksgiving, you know, um, it is a very happy time of the year for a lot of people. Yeah. But then also, there this time of year brings a lot of sadness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure why, but it brings it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because you're viewing others who are happy. And you feel that there is really nothing happy in your life or anything uh, positive going on. Mm -hmm. Again, I just recommend that that you do in in your night times that you when you're in your in the privacy of your own home Mm -hmm. that you get on your knees Mm -hmm. and cry out and ask God. Are you there? Mm -hmm. Do you exist? Mm -hmm. Who are you? And when your heart is sincere Mm -hmm. and it is open, I believe that God would answer you. Mm -hmm. Now, will you hear a thunderous voice coming through the clouds and through the sky? Maybe not. But there would be something that God will touch you and that he would identify himself to you, Mm. that he is real, that he is available, 
that he does not sleep, nor does he slumber. He does not take vacations, but he is always available. Mm -hmm. So even through this time of of the season, Mm -hmm. give thanks to whatever you need to give thanks for. Give thanks for having legs to walk on, arms to reach, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. eyes to see, ears to hear. Mm -hmm. Give thanks. Mm -hmm. And I believe God would meet you right there at the place of Thanksgiving. We've been blessed with the miracle of our son's life, but there are some during this time of season that were not blessed mm-hmm. uh, with the life of their loved ones. And that can also be what brings a very tough time and a sense of depression and hurt and pain and lack of celebration for some. You know, they've lost loved ones. They've lost, um, you know, love. Uh, they divorced. They, you know, it's just not a happy time for a lot of people. And they may be sitting here listening to this podcast, even wondering why they're listening. Mm-hmm. But there is something in this that was said tonight that reached out to you. And we're praying that the Lord will touch through this podcast and help someone that maybe didn't know the way or didn't believe. We are believers and we are living testimonies that God is real and that he's still healing and he's still blessing. But we have to be real and authentic and true in our walk. And we request, we hope, and we plead that you do the same. Give God a try. Mm-hmm. He won't fail you. Wow. Such powerful words, you guys. I am so grateful that you guys were able to come on today and just share this story talk about ups and downs and arounds and, but one thing stayed constant and that was God continuing to show up over over and over again. And I always told a lot of my friends, I said, if you don't believe in miracles, let me just tell you about my nephew and tell you this, this process that our family has been through. So Mm -hmm. I just want to thank you guys so much for coming on and just leaving such powerful words for the listeners. Thank you. And um, I'm just very grateful that you shared your story and um i guess we'll end it here <laughs> thank you thank you for having us yeah it was nice talking to you all right nice talking love to you. you see you on a couple days <laughs> okay love you love you bye Bye-bye, can i just say wow i mean my heart is so full hearing just how they continue to trust god every single step of the way and i hope that you guys don't look at this as anyone preaching at you or trying to sway you. But if anything, just a way to show you how big God is in our lives may be an opportunity for you to see how big he can be in your life. And I've always ended any episode like this saying, if you are dealing with something that you feel is much bigger than yourself, and you don't feel like you're getting the help that you need, or you don't feel like, you know, what you're doing is working, I would encourage you to open your heart to the Lord. But more than anything, call the suicide hotline if you feel like this is becoming too much. If you're having any type of suicidal thoughts this holiday season, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Once again, it's 800 800- 273 
8255. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Talk Diaries. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave feedback. You can even leave words of encouragement for Willie. He will be reading these, um, these, this feedback you leave for him. And just thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to Talk Diaries. Talk Diaries.